It's Friday, May 10th, 2013. Welcome to episode 13 of Insert Content Here. Insert Content Here. Words intentionally unclear. Insert Content Here. Hi, I'm uh, Jeff Eaton, Senior Architect at Lullabot, and today I'm talking to Jason Scott. He's a computer historian, a documentarian who's covered BBS culture, hacker culture, text adventure games. Um, he works with the Internet Archive on uh, digital preservation projects. He also cares for Sockington, the world's most Twitter-famous cat. He, he's basically a, like a digital culture renaissance man. And I, I have to say, it's a pleasure to have you on the show, Jason. Well, thank you very much. Good intro. Like it. I, I, I can't not mention Sockington because, you know, he, he's the most Twitter famous cat in the world. Now, nothing I ever do will ever have the reach or the effect of Sockington. It's like when uh, uh, John Scalzi put bacon on his cat. He realized his career as an author would forever be eclipsed by that. Right. No, exactly. And, and you know, the weird thing about celebrity or being known for something is that you can use it to try to be positive. And believe it or not, I've tried to put a positive spin on that cat but on the other hand also as we'll discuss uh i've become relatively famous for other things and in each case i'm trying to use that for good uh just simply because uh, otherwise it just seems really lame <laughs> well you know okay so all of that other stuff that was mentioned um you know it i'm trying to figure out what the best way to characterize you i, I mean uh, a voice in the wilderness for uh, digital preservation. Uh, I think the Batman of archivists was uh, something that came up a little while ago. Um, but you're a really vocal um, organizer and proponent of um, archiving digital content that's just passing out of our world. That's you know that's at risk of being lost. How did you get into that? You know, it's funny because over time I've had to try to figure it all out, and I think. It was when my parents got divorced when I was in my single digits and we moved and we moved under very like my mother like absconding with the children in the night being out of sight. And as a result, I had to like – it's terrible decisions a kid has to make when he's eight or nine. Like what will fit in the car because we're going to leave right now. And I, I learned all these terrible lessons and one of them was like nothing is permanent. Like nothing is going to just – Stay where it is if you do nothing. Uh, don't assume everything it is. I took the positive lesson of enjoy what you have and enjoy it often. But I also took it of like don't, don't just say because it's here, it's always going to be here and we're done. So as it turns out, I believe I wrote Who Moved My Cheese when I was eight. <laughs> um, but beyond that, you know, uh, when I got into computers and computer bulletin board systems in the early 1980s, I – didn't just log on to them, but I downloaded tons of material from them because, again, I treated them as like, I like this. I'm going to take a copy. And that reflex has been around forever. Printouts, uh, old discs, um, writings, and so on. You know, I just collect them. And so as a result, whenever I've encountered things that are digital, I know that they're, by their nature, ephemeral, fleeting, and often really interesting but they can be like little butterflies that just kind of disappear. And so over time, when I turned into my late 20s, I put up a lot of the digital stuff I had collected as a teen. And a lot of people were like, oh, my God, somebody kept all this old stuff. So I got the reward for being some sort of digital hoarder. And so then I, you know, 
had textfiles.com for a number of years and got into documentary filmmaking because of it. And I got into hosting uh, other related computer items because people would say, well, here's my Bolton board system stuff, but it also has all this old vintage computer equipment. And I'd say, well, I'll take that too. And that's <laughs> how I have the shipping container in the backyard. But beyond that, I have a, uh, a bunch of websites and projects that I got involved in. And I think it wasn't until you know, 2008, 2009, that I started to say there's a fundamental problem with these services in that services that let people connect to them for free, host with them for free, uh, gave them a platform and a voice, were turning down and saying, okay, well, that was fun. We're closed now. And in one swoop, you know, Hundreds of thousands of accounts, millions of accounts could just disappear overnight, often with relatively small warning. I mean, one of the things that's really sad is that shutdown notices have no you – know, there's really no uh, process. I mean, you can – if you're going to evict a guy, you got to like go to the judge. You got to like – guy's got to be notified. There's going to be a lot of yelling. It's going to be boring. But eventually – you're going to get him kicked out and the sheriff will be there. It'll be lot, you know, the whole thing. I mean, it's a big mess. It's, it's a mess anyway, but now it's a regulated mess. There's nothing like that with these. So if somebody's going to shut you down, uh, I've seen warning as little as 24 or 48 hours. I've seen warnings as good as a year. Um, but in all cases, uh, if the service has been around for half a decade or a decade and you give them a month, I mean, imagine if you had a cabin in the woods and then somebody just nailed something to the door. So 24 like, hours from now, the cabin won't be here. Yeah, we'll be burning this cabin as part of the new uh, reclamation process unless we hear from your people within the next 24 hours. And then, you know, you go up there and you're like, uh, my cabin. Um, and so it's kind of like in some ways it's great that the web is still Wild West, but it really shouldn't be considering that we now have made everybody put their lives online for the last 20 years. And so what happened was, was that I said there ought to be some sort of team that maybe takes a copy of these websites before they disappear. And then maybe the choice can be made later about what's going to happen with it. Because right now the choice is being made basically by inertia and randomness. I mean, one of the easiest ways that a company that has a bunch of web service products can show that they're progressing or that somebody in that company is getting stuff done is to go, well, you know, we don't make a lot of money off of the surfboard forum that we run. Uh, so let's just shut down the surfboard forum. And then later you can say, look at all the costs we saved on adminning and running this surfboard forum. Meanwhile, you know, the surfboard forum is like this legendary community that everyone depended on and always thought would be there and then 30 days and there's no export function and you know it's it, it, it's an ugly situation and yeah. you know sometimes it happens and it's normal like like uh i just watched a, a graffiti community go under and it's political it's basically half the guys who run it are like the other half suck and the other guys like we don't suck at all and he's like, well, we're not going to run this with you. He goes, well, maybe we'll just take it down then. And the other one's like, okay. And so what they did was they actually – half of them took a copy of the site. And then the other one said, we're shutting down. We're shutting down in 30 days. We're shutting down. Uh, goodbye, everyone. And it went down. And like a day later, the other half like 
put up another site on another domain and we're like, we're back, we're here. <laughs> and I mean, you know, that's just politics. And, and, you know, we tried to get a copy of as much of it anyway because it was graffiti and it was interesting photos. But, but the fact was, was that's just, that's just human beings. But when it's something like, um, NWNet, which was a UK provider that was around in 1990s and then kind of fell out of favor and then, um, uh, got bought by another company that itself got bought by another company. Well, the parent company finally said, okay, we're just killing these things. We don't need these anymore. And we went in and it was weird. It was like walking through uh, an archaeological dig because pretty much all the websites were from like 1996, 1997, and then kind of stopped. Like I think what happened was they just moved to other things. Yep. So it was like this capsule that had just been sitting around on these hard drives for you know 15 years. And then suddenly somebody decided to get rid of them. So we grabbed a bunch. I hope we got a lot of them. Well, I mean, like, um, I, I, I remember, like, the very first web pages I ever created, I just, like, dropped on whatever AOL's, you know, FTP Dropbox, and then it becomes a web, you know, web address kind of thing they had going at the time. And Yeah, I think that was it. Was that AOL Hometown? Yes. I think yeah. it, it might have even been pre-Hometown. It was, like, it was about it. It was when they debuted, like, you know, you can do Archie searches on AOL. Right. Um, but, and if, if I hadn't just been obsessive about always storing local stuff, because, you know, if I hadn't have had that impulse, it, I, I, it would have been, it would have completely vanished. No, I mean, it's not like society would have really lost anything because my, you know, shareware review newsletter for the Mac in, you know, 1992 would be lost. But still, you know, that's. Well, you know, I can make arguments. All day long. I mean, because what well, you're Jeff Eaton podcast guy, right? Let's say that you get uh, into a controversy because in one of your podcasts you said something and you got something out of a guy, and it's it's suddenly everywhere, right? Uh, that puts you on a certain trajectory, and then suddenly you're writing and being much more influential. You're on NPR now. You're you know you're you've really moved on. Historically, it would be good to see the roots of Jeff Eaton online and what did he consider important, which explains why his success was there. You know, like that's an example, like just off the top of my head. Um, we have cases where we find like people did like website. Well, somebody did a, like family tree websites. Like the genealogy people are crazy. And one of the things that's funny with them is that they really seem to keep falling for this, like, proprietary file system structure. Like, they'll just find a new thing. Like, here's the best new thing, and then... And it won't uh, go away. And it won't go away, and then it does. And they're like, we're, we're coming up with all these hacks to make it come back. But anyway, uh, a lot of genealogy websites were, like, wiped away uh, by a lot of these being shut down. Uh, there was one I liked. It was, a like, a full-on history of the Roma, of, like, the Roma gypsies and, like, family trees and... And, uh, you know, events and important things in Roma. And, like, it was just some website some person had on their, uh, on their, on their system. And, yeah, I mean, you can convince yourself that it's probably written down somewhere. You can even convince yourself that maybe that person moved on and did something else. But you might not. Uh, veterans sometimes would put up stuff about their sites and then they die. And then their family doesn't have the password. And so they don't know how to get it. And the site and, just goes away. And, and it just goes away. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a matter of. Do you accept websites as being part of the cultural fabric? If you don't, then it doesn't matter what I tell you, right? It doesn't matter what we're discussing here because if it's not important to you culturally or if you don't at least recognize it as a cultural force that is really, really prominent now, then, yeah, we'll never convince you it's worth saving. But if you think of it as the fact that this is where 
all of our dreams, all of our interactions, all of our discussions are going, all of the moments and everything are being sucked into this online blorb. Um, the fact is, is that if the underlying structure of it means that it's just going to go poof when somebody moves a slider from A to B, then then we're setting ourselves up to losing a lot of that cultural fabric. And we don't know its value. I mean, um, I've had museums take stuff that we downloaded four years ago uh, and and put it up in their museums. So, I mean, I'm like, okay, well, obviously that was important. Um, well, that, well, that's an interesting question because I think one of the big – like high profile um, things that I think I think archive team was was a big part of it was um, basically archiving GeoCities right when it went dark and there were tons of jokes at the time about you know oh okay saving GeoCities you know what what's the value in that but then at the same time there were just as many people saying oh my god I you know this is stuff you know from a decade ago that I had completely forgotten was out there and now that it's saved. You know, this, it can be preserved because that was one of the first places that it was like a real, like democratized dumping ground on the web where people could just go and, uh, you know, just splat stuff up on the internet without necessarily having a huge amount of technical expertise. Right. And beyond that, not having any kind of professional grading, not having any design experience, it's true folk art. And it's, it's also like what's important to people. And, 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 you know, uh, when we downloaded GeoCities, it's funny if you look at us now and how we do things and how we did it then, then it was like literally like buckets, like just running in and everybody grabbing as much stuff as possible randomly, uh, using Google to find usernames, just, just slamming through this thing, just, just willy nilly. And we got a lot of it. I mean, we got about a terabyte of GeoCities, but we think there was like as much as four. Now, meanwhile, two other groups were doing it. And none of us were talking to each other, it turns out, because it was so fast. But we weren't talking to each other. And this one poor guy, uh, he basically hijacked the ISP he worked at and aimed every machine <laughs> at this problem. And I think he told me, like, he generated, like, he basically ended up with, like, a his ISP. I mean, he worked there, but he ended up generating, like, a twelve or $13,000 bill uh, because he did it himself. And he, he had a really messed up system for doing it that... Produced good work, but it was just amazing when he told me how he did it. And so he produced this item, and and it's a different collection. I mean, so he recognized the value, and then a third group did it too. So there were people who were like, yeah, this is something important, but it was such a small minority, and it was very much a case of if you look at the news, people were like, well, who cares? Good riddance. Uh, go away. And it's just weird, right? It's it's like the mummies craze when they were burning mummies for fuel. It's just like, go away, whatever. You can use them for fuel. And uh, um, it, it, looking now, even even this short time later, people are like, oh, my God, there's a – you know, I put up a page of under construction GIFs and it gets linked to like every day. Like somebody – I see the tweet go by. Somebody, somebody goes, well, discovers it. Yeah. yeah, somebody discovers it. If they have a relatively big following, 20 or 30 people go, oh my god, what is this? And it's just a page of under construction animated GIFs telling you that the page is under construction. Um, and on the page is a link that says um, mail us if you have a question. If you click it, you get like 10,000 mail animated GIFs. And, and I have one of like all the Netscape Navigator – uh, animated GIFs from the Netscape era of the late 1990s, you know, and and these were all things that I called just to go, 
here's somebody randomly showing value, historical value in this thing. And 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 again, um I've gotten far away from like justifying it. I mean, <laughs> at this point we're archive team uh, it's archiveteam.org. We have a wiki. We have mailing lists. We have various projects we involve in. Uh, we have stuff that's a little bit out of band. You know, someone will say, "I think we should save this," and we're gonna be. We're like, "Um, go ahead." You know, it's certainly we believe things should be saved, but okay, it's kind of weird you're going after that. Um, but on the whole, we'll we have a thing called the Archive Team Warrior, and the Archive Team Warrior is basically a uh, a distributed preservation of service attack. It will regulate uh, hundreds of clients to download pieces of a website within a short period of time. And we've only run into problems once or twice where the owner has been like, what are you doing? And on the whole, uh, there have been sites we've been able to get 100% in like three days um, because we can just bang through and get like three terabytes or 15 terabytes of their site. Um, so, So it feels good. To have that. Um, what happens after it, we mostly store it on the Internet Archive. And then uh, this activity of ours, which is what brings you in, has attracted the attention of information professionals because some of them have jobs where they could not possibly do that. Like they could not possibly dream of just going out and grabbing something. Like it's just too many layers of uh, bureaucracy management to go through to get permission to use resources and they can't do it. And doing it um, yourself means buying a whole lot of hard drives. Right. I mean, you end up, and, and also you're just murdering your bandwidth and, uh, and ultimately just sort of kicking the can down the road. You know, if, if you just turn yourself into the person who just downloads a bunch of stuff, you sort of become that single point of failure too. Right. And I mean, in my professional work, working for the internet archive, uh, at archive.org. I I love encountering guys like that, people like that, um, who 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 are like, I got this hard drive and I I digitized a bunch of magazines that I threw away. Do you want it? Or uh I have recordings of like every public performance down at the park. It's about two hundred gig. Where could I put it? And I'm like, I'll take it. Um, yeah, I'll take it. I'll put it right back up there. Um, you know, Finding that people have been quietly keeping them and saying, well, somebody will want it eventually, it has been very fun to walk in and go, I'm the person you were waiting for. I think that quality of you know not being able to predict what has value in the future is one of the things that um, is most interesting. Because like, I first stumbled across text files years and years back trying to track down a copy of the make.money.fast file. That, like It was one of the... You know, 80 bajillion different, um, you know, pyramid schemes that made its way around BBSs. And I just remembered that and I was trying to figure out what, you know, what was that? Um, and it turns out there's a whole archive of those kinds of pyramid schemes. Yes. That, you know, that Text Files has. And suddenly it was like, oh my gosh, this was a whole like ecosystem. This was a whole flourishing little species of things that circulated around in that time. And, I think there's there's so much value even in the stuff that we wouldn't expect like oh well clearly the articles that we publish on this website that you know we should save but things like the ads and the comments and the little crufty bits of ephemera that we don't think have value can end up being just as interesting in the future 
as what we think of as the meat. Oh, absolutely. I mean, one of the things that I always find funny is I still have lots of spam archived from the 90s. Like I have like large 7-zip files that are just spam sent to me that it went into my spam folder. And people think that's crazy. And at the time, they were like, what a waste of space. And, you know, to be honest, it's about 50 gig because uh, it compresses down. It's 50 gig. So you put 50 gig aside and you're like, well, here's an entire set of bizarre ways to notice how computing was done. If you want a weird one, um, um, I have to think about if I if I can mention this. Let me think. I had a I had a person who worked in the security field who told me that he looked at archived web pages to like when they were looking up malware, like website malware, they could do searches through archived pages and use that as a way to find uh, where did this come from. In other words, um. You know, you'll see some new bit of malware or a uh, interesting Trojan, and then you're able to find evidence of it, even though you know it it flourished in like 2009 through archives and and other things. They can discover well, somebody was writing it in 2003 because there are footprint. You know, the, it, its footprints appear in various pages as you know much earlier. Yeah, I only pause because I'm I'm trying to remember. Like in one case. Uh, who cares? Uh, one case, I know people were using it to try to try to figure out the uh, provenance of the uh, Stuxnet virus because, they, you know, because we're still not sure if it's a weapon or not. And uh, it feels like a weapon. Um, but, it, it, you know, the Stuxnet uh, had aspects of it that could be found in, in earlier websites. So it was, it was utilizing lots of interesting knowledge. And, and, and from that, you can, like, start to determine provenance, especially if – some of it is proof of concept or otherwise, you know, people using terms or items that come from before. You know, that's just like one easy one. You know, it's, it's, it always drives me nuts when I see people. You know, like, we definitely have in this world historically um, sedentary layers now, right? Not, not, not on like dirt. So you'll know like you can be reasonably sure that if something hit between like 2004 – and now you can probably get it or get references to it. Like it like it or its footprint are very fresh, very clear. 2000 to 2004, you do pretty good uh, because there were things like the Internet Archive and also other sites linking to it. And many of those stayed on or they got absorbed. When you get to like 95 and 96, 97, now it's getting – Real hit or miss. By the time you get to the 80s, you get like textfiles.com. There's a place called Temple of the Screaming Electron. There's a few other locations that kind of archived pieces of those old pieces. But they're not comprehensive and you can't search them like you can search for a website. Like Google hasn't gone there. Mm -hmm. And then by the 70s, it's all paper. It's primarily paper or just a lore. few digital exceptions. Yeah. And you start getting like weird – like you'll, you can sometimes bust things out now where it turns out something claims it was the first and you can go, well, here's five examples if you're lucky. And we are working very hard as a, as a species to digitize old papers of things to bring it up to the new. But the fact is, is like sometimes I've seen people get like – especially people who are like in their like 20s who are journalism people – like they'll do like a Lexus Nexus search or a Google search, and then they're like, mm, "Little is known about 
blah, 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 blah. And I'll be like, yeah, little is searchable from your desk. Little is indexed, but that yeah. doesn't mean it's not known. Right. And so I, I try to – I mean that's going to be kind of a weird like distorted lens that we're going to view things through. So by saving these old sites and sometimes bringing back sites that maybe one person captured and bringing them back into the record, quote, unquote, um, we ensure that people make more informed decisions and people – uh, are able to call back to things or people are able to read more. I mean, gotchas are interesting. You know, oh, here's the first time the celebrity was online or, or oh, my God, look, look at Amazon's first web page. But then there's also just like the natural feeling of like the history of quilting patterns and people saying things online because for a moment we are so stunned by the medium that people discuss things that were never discussed in public about, you know, quilting or survivor abuse or historical uh, places or anything. And then that disappears. It's like for one moment everyone jabbers at each other because it's so amazing. And then they just go back to being normal again. Like that stuff. I mean, it's it, like I said, if you buy in that it's cultural and it's, it's richly cultural – then you're going to have a really good time. And I mean it's really worth saving because there's so much sideways value, so much unexpected. But if you don't, then yeah, you're always going to be like, what's up with these people? What's up with this museum always being open, letting people look at old uh, uh, sewing machines? Who cares? And when you get older, you're like, I kind of want to go to the sewing machine. Who's with me? And And so hopefully – uh, you know, when you get these old historical items and these old files, it's because somebody said, I'm not going to delete them. I'm going to shove them away. And then hopefully other people will find them. So, you know, we can hope for that. And so part of what I do with archive team is uh, try to make sure that people aren't just being caught out, um, being able to like call back old pages and get our hands on things. You know, that's, it's the least we can do, and um, right now it seems like we're dealing in big numbers. You know, last year we did like a few hundred terabytes, but then later when you have your one petabyte drive, you're going to be like, oh, what's this? Oh, internetarchive.zip, and uh, you know, you'll be like, do you want it? Oh, I'll trade you. Uh, I used to make this joke about, um, about textfiles.com, and I mean I made this joke in like 98, and I said what I, my dream was to turn all of BBS history – into a tradable ware. So someone will go, well, what do you have? Oh, I've got the new Iron Man movie. Oh, what do you have? The entire history of bulletin board systems and text. <laughs> okay. And the fact is, is that with, with, um, with relatively recent compression, uh, you can get my text file collection, which was about two gig, down to about like 600 megs. Like you can get it down to like basically a, a CD-ROM. You can get it down to the size that someone could accidentally have it on their hard drive. Right. And and in 98, I was making that joke. By 2008, it was absolutely reality. And now I'm seeing it just happen. People are going along going, I wish to be a mirror. And I'm like, fine, do you have an hour? You know, I mean, it'll just, here you go, just run this R-Sync. It'll just pull it over. I mean, it's not like it used to be. I mean, you can literally have, you know, uh, textfiles.com on your phone. And not be bothered that it's on your phone. You just have it on your phone because you feel like it. And and that's what I think is going to happen with these websites. And instead of getting hung up over like, God, who wants this 300 terabytes of junk to go, 
Well, later somebody's going to be like, oh, what are we going to do? I'm running out of 300 terabyte interesting things. <laughs> uh, it's, I'm, I'm almost out. And so, so yeah, no, I've got great faith that this we're just on the edge of what will hopefully be a long life for this information that people can reference instead of us just – I don't want it to be like, oh – uh, there was a very old gray computer and then Microsoft came in and, and now suddenly there was the web and we're done. Like that just becomes the history, like whatever floats to the top. Uh, and, and, you know, Microsoft and, and their subsidiary, Mozilla, was able to uh, you know, create the web <laughs> and just some sort of messed up. We do that with so much else, right, where we're just like we, we, we end up with like, you know, we let Looney Tunes cartoons dictate the history of the 30s and the 40s. You know, the old Looney Tunes cartoons have um, the gremlin and there's a part in it where the gremlin's messing up with a plane. And then at some point at the end, um, Bugs Bunny's plane is crashing. And just before it hits the ground, it runs out of fuel. So it stops before it hits the ground. And he goes, "Ah, what you going to do? And he points to the sticker on the window. And it ends. And and I, as a kid, I'm like, what's up with that? There's no meaning whatsoever. Well, it turns out it's a ration sticker. So he had a ration sticker that said A. And when when you had a sticker that said A, you could only get gas on certain days. And 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 this gone, gone except for the corner of a of a of a. uh, Or the another good one to me is the term Tumblr, which is the person who at a Catskill, you know, the Catskills where we had all those comedians, there was a person who was called a Tumblr, and their entire job was to make people have a good time. They had to be funny, and they had, well, the term Tumblr is basically in, like, two comic books. And over time, maybe the oral history will come out, but it's like, you can really feel it disappearing. So, so anyway, that's, you know, yes, either I've made my case... (laughs) <laughs> or 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 I apologize to the people who have crashed their cars falling asleep listening to this. I don't think it's any surprise. Anybody who knows me knows I'm I'm already well on board with this case. If, if my giant ephemera folder is is any indication, it's you know this resonates deeply. But what, one of the things that I thought was interesting that came back that came up when you were talking, the idea of the scope of all of this stuff. I think that calls back to a blog post you made um, in early December talking about one of the challenges coming up is finding stuff in this. You know, you, now that now that people are coming and, like, delivering archives of, you know, all of the stuff from this BBS, or here's this CD-ROM archive of shareware from the 90s or something like that, actually finding these really fascinating and interesting gems is sort of the, a phase two problem. And, you know, that's that's essentially a brute force challenge at this point. That also ties into a, one comment that you made, I think, in... Um, in a presentation you gave at Open Source Bridge, where you said, I think, metadata is a love letter to the future. Um, mm. d- do you think that figuring out how to capture useful information and useful metadata about the stuff that's being made, is it, does that have a significant impact in how those future archives are, able, are can be put together? Yeah, you know, there's, <laughs> there's another... Uh... There's another line that I have from the creator of that line, which is uh, the important thing is to get it online. The rest of it is Doritos, Red Bull, and Daft Punk. <laughs> and and that's just saying that, you know, basically I think of it as a coding problem. I mean, already uh, Facebook tells you, like, 
you know, like Facebook will like light up all the faces in a picture and say, which of your buddies is this? What they're not telling you is actually at this point they can kind of guess, but they're they're letting you play the game and not get freaked out going like, looks like you took a picture of Corette. There is a lot of money to be made and a lot of advantage to be made in the ability of machine readability uh, when there's when there's properties like Shazam and uh, other similar technologies for recognizing voices and music, eventually we'll just go, oh, sounds an awful lot, lot like Soupy Sales is talking. Uh, and it appears that these people are talking about news, and that sounds like the newscaster Chuck Scarborough. So this is probably NBC in 1976. And, uh, you know, they're discussing this and this and this. So, oh, it's sometime around probably January of 1976, because that's when they would be discussing this based on our other observations. And, I mean, I'm not too worried about that. That's all grad student problems. Like, that's the kind of interesting things that people do. You know, when we were using computers in the 80s, our big problem was, like, we didn't even have news articles coming online. Now they just do. And you can, like, observe them and be like, here's what's going on. Something's going on and and there's been earthquakes and and whatever else. And you see it. So, to me, I'm definitely, definitely of of the field of get it online and deal with it later. And maybe that's a little incompatible with how other people do it. I think that the world, there's too much to do. There's way too much to do that requires like people doing it and getting stuff online than sitting around going, well, once it's online, we can't do much with it initially. So let's not do it. And then stuff disappears, right? I mean, to my right right now, I have 4,000 Apple II floppies because... Um, there was an Apple II users group in Rhode Island that um, over time, as members would leave or die, they would give their floppy disks to this one member, and she just kept them and kept them and kept them. And now she has 4,000, and then finally someone said, finally there's somebody who can transfer them. And she was like, yay, get these out of my basement. So they're here, and I'm going to be transferring them. And you know, I'm setting up a process for scan an image, uh, pull out the image from the floppy if possible, and then just put them up. And am I going to do the metadata for each? Probably not. But it's going to be the beginning of somebody else. So to me, it's like get the data first and then deal with it later. You can't tag something that you don't have. Right. Or you can and then it feels really lame. You know, data goes here. Uh, Beautiful painting, blah, 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 blah. Looks like this. No known copies exist. The saddest words for anyone who loves preserving things. Yeah. I mean, there was something I remember. What was it? uh, Talking about – some cigar aficionado magazine. And what they would do is sometimes they would review Cuban cigars, which are illegal in the U.S., and they would review them. And then they could say, you know, current market price, and they would write N.A. And it was just the stuffiness of like, oh, we smoked it. It was beautiful. Oh, but you can't get one of these. <laughs> I smoked it's, – it's the line from The Simpsons. I go to a special zoo uh, for celebrities with animals you've never heard of. <laughs> um, I don't want that world. I mean I, for me, radical open access, radical accessibility, you know, that's, that's going to provide the, the rich ground that we'll work on in the future instead of being like, well – you know, if you come to our place and you fill out five forms, you'll be able to borrow these items for one day. Or or you can come into this room and, and, and be with it in the room for six hours and read it. Uh, air-gapped. Air-gapped uh, information to me. It better be either national security or the only known copy. At which point I say copy it. But you know. If it's the only known copy and it's digital, well, you should probably make a second one. 
If it's yeah, if it's the only known copy and it's digital, somebody's working hard. Uh, somebody's trying to make something not available, and I'm just yeah. So so again, not total compatibility with a lot of professionals in the archiving business. So I do have not. I have a lot of fans in terms of like I come off as an interesting Robin Hood swashbuckling character in the worlds of archivists who normally have to like ask a lot of questions and fill out a lot of forums. But I also have people who are detractors who are like, well, this isn't helping the conversation at all. This is agitative. This is, uh, um, you know, really aggressive and, and needlessly aggressive language in what should be a calm, uh, polite transaction. And to which my answer, of course, is always, you know, come on, we're we're if uh, massive websites are dying. All the time now. I'm really seriously dying. Posterist just went under. Um, Poetry.com? Was that one of the ones? That- yeah, Poetry.com was an interesting one. That was like a bunch of millions of poems, many of which were awful. And we were downloading them and the owners just started blocking us. And it, it turned out that it was because they hadn't um, thought to have it on more than one server. So we were really hurting that server downloading all of its poems. So they were blocking us because they didn't want their server. I mean, they were really, really down. And then someone bought them. And he's kind of made some of them available again, but it's kind of random. And so we have a random amount. They have a random amount up. And and so it's not ideal. Uh, Only a few times have people been like, what are you doing? Stop it. Um, Sometimes because their infrastructure wasn't ready for it or sometimes just because they feel – uh, you know, it's my right to destroy all my users' data, or I didn't ask permission of the users for you to do this. Well, it's that like, that actually raises an interesting question for me because I, usually on the podcast I talk to people who are you know sort of on the other side of this equation. They're launching websites. They're hoping these websites stick, or you know they're they're you know building lots of user generated content and thinking about ways to really make that succeed. But you know nobody expects their site to go away eventually. But you know, again, very few sites, you know, stick around for 20 years, you know. Right. What What can, like, content professionals or web developers, the people who are working on these projects that are becoming the next big repository of stuff, what can they do to help improve this situation? Okay, so um, I personally make a demarcation between, like, if you have a, sat, a site and your site is catsforhats.com, and you sell cat hats, right? Well, fine. I mean, you'll have your site. You probably go through like 10 or 20 changes. You have different cat pictures. You have themes. And you run things through. And, and, and either the cat hats sell or they don't sell. So your website's around for six months or five years or, you know, after 20 fine years of cat hat selling, we're retiring. Whatever, right? You, you have a, a life cycle there of, of a site. That's one thing. I think people – I think you're going to be snapshotted and there will be a historical record that you once existed uh, to some extent that may be great or not. And that's just like the price of doing business. That's like the Google street map is recording that all these businesses existed in this configuration. Here's the the facade of a pizza parlor. Um, the The line for me is crossed when you allow yourself or you are designing a place that is a repository for user-generated content. And so if you are like, you know, put put all your baby photos here or even worse, 
put this client on your phone to automatically push all of your baby photos into our site. It's not the legal case yet, and I say yet, but you are initiating a trust, not just one of like maybe potentially landlord and tenant, but, you know, one of, you know, basically provider of a home and a place for what may be one-time only user content. So you're a a location now. You're not just some storefront. I mean, this would be like a storefront that had lockers that had everyone could store their stuff in the lockers. Like, what are you going to do? Like, if you go out of business, like, do you just clean out the lockers? I mean, smart places initiate, you know, once a night we close it, you know, we, so nobody ever does that, right? Once a night we're going to clean everything out. So, so we're not a, we're not that, we're not a hotel. Um, but if your site is like, oh, host with us for free and then five years go by and you're part of the cultural fabric and, and, and people store things on you and reference you and you've encouraged it with your URL shortener and your deep linking ability, uh, and then one day, you, you know, Wikipedia uses you as a reference. Uh, and then suddenly you turn around and you're like, yeah, we're closing in 30 days and we're done here. Like the hard part was figuring out, well, on May 30th, we pay the least amount of money because we have to pay for another cycle on June 1st. So let's do it May 30th. And, and that's it. That's your work. That's your homework. And you have no export function you, for one, right? For no, for, you know, first of all, no easy way to pull the data back out again. Because, of course, you're paranoid and you're silly and you think, oh, you know, I mean, uh, a roller skating rink doesn't, like, worry that at the end of the day people are going to leave and roller skate somewhere else. I mean, uh, you know, it sounds silly, but I mean, I understand, like, some of the concept of vendor lock-in and that's why you do contracts. But to design your product so that there's no recourse to have access to generation by your users. Well, guess what? You've now locked yourself in, as far as I'm concerned, into being the caretaker of this data. And so if you like find yourself down the road with no export function, no clear shutdown plan, no clear way to like maneuver and move the, the data to like perhaps a trust or leaving the user accounts going on a crappy machine for like a year so that a person can still log into their old credentials and pull down a copy. Um, right now, you're not breaking the law, but I think you are being ethically problematic and you are acting like it's still 1995 and we're all happy that that CGI works. <laughs> and I think that we've moved so past that. I mean, yeah, a lot of data disappeared in 94, 95 because guess what? The sun machine crashed. They had the bad sectors, and then there was no recourse because there was one drive. And oh well, you know, our product didn't work. But now you claim to be part of like you know, oh, one hundred percent uptime, and we're gonna be really robust in our in our construction, and we're gonna have a rich metadata experience for the user. <clears throat> and then you turn around and you say, well, but honestly, you are all chattel. Uh, I think that's gonna catch up with you. I'd like to see it legally changed i mean even if it's a pain i understand it's a pain but i I mean that's that's what life is when you encounter things with other people right now it's up in the air i mean but i mean enjoy it but i think that that idea of like providing the just the basic ability for people to you know if you're if you're making a place where people can put their stuff and you're encouraging them to put their stuff there 
make sure that they can take their stuff too. Yeah, I think that's a that's a um, you know it's a philosophy thing, and I, I mean it's the same thing when you know we we uh, I loved by the way that insane uh, Tim O'Reilly takedown article that hit. Um, but one of its central theses was that uh, the free software movement was hijacked by the open source movement and uh, that the open source movement was basically, well, you know, you can continue to be vaguely unethical and really predatory, but you can be open about it. You know, you can you can show the processes that you're working on and you're going to use uh, you're going to contribute back for some of the for some of the things, but not all of them, not the stuff that matters. And 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 it was an interesting article. And and the fact is, is that there's a stigma among people who are coming into the game late to the idea of making your product one that can be exported at any time. And I, and it's a narrative that's very tough to fight, except for to say you're telling the people you're here because you want to be, not because we have made ourselves – I mean, fine. Be like Facebook. I mean, first of all, Facebook's export function is terrible. But I mean, you know, um, if you've ever walked into an Ikea and gotten something to eat, you suddenly realize you, you can leave immediately. It's, there's ways to do it. Um, but in fact, it kind of is going to force you through a lot of stuff to get out. And, and I, okay, fine. All right, whatever. Be, be like the last 50 feet of a Best Buy and make me walk through candy aisles galore. But still, make it that I can walk out. And, and I mean, you know, a lot of places will do that of like, are you sure you want to go? We have these fine services and blah, 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 blah. Fine. All right. Be a little obtuse. It's the American way. But the ones right now where there's literally none, I mean, there's really no way to pull your data out. I think that's going to come back to get them. And, and I think that it's not harmful to your business to have that. What you, if you think what you're providing to people is a one-way write hard drive, then you're maybe in the wrong business yourself anyway. And you're going to get out of it soon because your one-way write hard drive isn't going to go very long. I should mention I don't really run any businesses. <laughs> Well, you know, before before we go, I, I want to ask, <laughs> um, for the people who are interested in getting involved with or learning more about Archive Team and the work that you guys are doing, you know, what's the, what's the next step for them? Well, one way is they could go look at archiveteam.org, which is our heavily aggressive, uh, profanity-laden wiki about all aspects of archiving, of saving data, uh, of sites that have shut down um, and sites that are looking – we have something. We have fire drills. We say basically what's what, what places out there do a lot of people depend on that if they went away, a lot of people would be really sad. Uh, for example, right now that would be GitHub. Like GitHub going away would be a bad thing for the world. Trust me. Colossal. Uh, yeah. If uh, we lost – to some extent, Goodreads and uh, library thing, that would affect a swath of people. Um, so we, we kind of do fire drills and say, what kind of uh, procedures do these people have uh, for, for getting your data out? And, and maybe we should be contacting them. So it's kind of the mission is expanded into kind of that. But, but at our core, um, probably five or ten things shut down every month. And uh, sometimes it's as simple as, oh, this guy ran a political website. And he's done. <laughs> he's given up. The wrong person was elected. He said, we're, we're doomed as a country. I don't want to talk about it anymore. But he wrote, you know, 
10 years of the most brilliant stuff and he's just going to delete it. It's like, well, maybe that should be copied off just, just for the, the long-term history. I mean, if he's going to turn around and turn it into a book, his prerogative, we're not going to get in his way. But maybe you want to keep a copy of that. But some of it is stuff like, here's a site that had, I mean, Posterous was uh, 7.9 million accounts that they shut down with 60 days notice. And, and, and you know, that's a lot of accounts. And, and so people really worked hard on those accounts and, and, and they're, they're just going to go away. I mean, there's now sort of mechanisms that were put in place to sort of transfer the data over to something called uh, Post Haven and a couple other places. But, you know, uh, sometimes those work. It's nice when they do, but it's random. Live Journal is a good example. Like Live Journal has just been doing kind of random deletions over the years since it was bought by the Russians. Just kind of randomly says, okay, anyone who hasn't posted for three years, deleted. And just making up these rules. Um, I think a person can come in and watch what we're doing and get an idea. And maybe when they have a decision, um, maybe they'll make one that's a little bit more informed in this space. I mean, I totally understand, quote unquote, the real world. Um, but on the other hand, I think that this is going to become the real world. We're going to start treating user data like we treat health data and like we treat privacy data. If Even if we put a fig leaf on it, someone's going to have to mention it. What's the, what's the environmental impact study to your website going away? What are you going to cause when a million people lose their accounts? Um, so, so people who want to come in and observe the fun, that's a good place to go. Well, thank you very much. It's, Always a pleasure getting a chance to talk to you, and I really appreciate you taking the time. And I wish you the absolute best of luck with all of the crazy stuff that you're juggling. Thank you very much, and uh, hopefully someday they'll archive me. Thanks for listening to Insert Content Here. If you'd like to catch up on past episodes or hear about new ones, you can visit us at lullabot.com slash blog slash podcast slash insert content here. You can also visit us at insertcontenthere.com.